0: Shooting
1: it raw? Yes. Shooting it raw. Um,
0: well, photography, for me, represents uh, images that sometimes are not easy to um, to conjure up. So from, from that point of view, uh, if you see something and you take a picture of it, it, it it's a representation of what um, of what you're trying to possibly, in my case, write. So when I'm writing, I'm thinking in pictures. So photography, in many ways, becomes a part of that particular uh, model, if you like. Great.
1: That's fantastic. Myron Edwards, uh, welcome to Shooting at Roth. Thank you for joining me for this call. Thank you my pleasure absolute pleasure great for whatever it's worth uh take it as you will but i don't do research before speaking with my guests what i do is we follow the the journey or the path or whatever it is the the road that you're going to take us on by sharing us how you spend your time and yeah really good to meet you Uh, indeed yes thank you how's hong kong these days Oh it's um it's all right you know ups and downs
0: uh actually before we you're in Cyprus yeah yeah i'm in Cyprus yeah it's a nice sunny morning in Cyprus that i'm temperatures are around about uh, just about 18 19 hasn't yet warmed up right. but it'll but we we we're we're, we're, um, we're coming into the winter season now and uh, temperatures will start to drop quite dramatically we have really I suppose two seasons. One, one is summer, one is winter. Your spring and everything else seems to all come in. To, it coincides with summer. Once you get to Easter, then the temperature changes dramatically. Mediterranean. Definitely.
1: Uh, so it's a composite image. It looks like a, It looks like a screen capture. Uh at the top it says Fantasy Bundle Two in white lettering. Right. And underneath it there are three book covers. Uh one is called Mistress of the Rock. One is is that pronounced Skyla the Revenge?
0: That's correct. Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: And then there's Julie's Odyssey, Alpha and Omega yeah that's correct
0: it's part of a, a trilogy of books that i wrote based on um an epiphany moment that i had a long time ago at the rocks in Petro romeo which is the birthplace of the aphrodite legend yeah the legend basically is that the name afro means from the foam and uh it, it actually is supposedly the link if you like between the Greek gods and uh, civilization. You know, put it a better, better way. The story that I actually started the whole thing off was I was in. I was over here with my wife before we got married. Uh, we came over to meet the family, and we decided we'd go to Patrick Romeo for um, for for a lunch. We went there and we talked about um, you know what what, what does. Aphrodite mean and um, why is it called Aphrodite's Rock? And I basically stand there, sort of very dubious about the whole thing. Um, you know, it's a legend; it's, uh, it's what it is. And, um, mm-hmm. and what happened? What happened was I saw something on the wall, and it was really quite strange because I've never yet been able to find it. But the thing that I saw on the wall was a poster from the Cyprus Tourist Board, and the Cyprus Tourist Board had an aerial shot of the of the rock and uh, when you look at the aerial shot of the rock you'll actually can see a figure in the water so it looks like uh, a female figure in the water that is if he like kicks the whole story off of how mistress of the rock came about but uh, if you go on mm. the website you'll be able to see similar to what i saw it's not the exact same image but it's similar to what I saw, and therefore that was the catalyst for the for the whole story or the journey, if you like, of the um, of the trilogy. So maybe context,
1: like you know, set the scene a little bit. Uh, how many years ago was this?
0: Oh, um, I first wrote the book when I first came when 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 it first started. I wrote it simply as a Christmas present for my wife. To, um, for her Aww. to open on Christmas morning. That was it. So it was a, it, it, it's a love story. Aphrodite is about, it, it is a love story. So I wrote it just purely as a one off, got it printed. Um, she showed it to a couple of people and they said, Well, why don't you try and get it published? There was a publisher in Nicosia who I um, sent a synopsis to and he said, Have you got the full manuscript? So I said, Yes. So he said, "Well, come and see me on the." This was on the Thursday, so said, come and see me on the Monday, and by the Tuesday, we'd signed contracts and we were printing the book. That's 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 wow. how it came about. So, yeah, like, how
1: did you fall into writing? I mean, first of all, I think it's 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 glorious, it's romantic, it's it's beautiful that you're just like, well, I'm going to write you a, a, a I'm going to write you a book that is just for you as a gift uh, yes. and so uh, how did you land in writing like are you a writer by trade like wh- where would this come from
0: i uh, go, going back into the um uh, early 70s i was a, a drummer in a band and um a, a mate of mine who used to work for hammer films he said to me we've got a friend who um works in a hospital radio and he wants some scripts and I said, well, oh, I've never written anything in my life. What do, you, what do you mean? He wants some some scripts. He said, well, look, look we'll get together. We'll write some ideas down and see if these scripts will actually work out. So we actually wrote the, the scripts mm-hmm. for the hospital radio. And not only did we write them for the hospital radio, but we performed on them as well. So it was played wow. for the pa- you played for the patients, basically. That's what it was. Okay. We had all this material that we had. And Phil, Phil Campbell, the guy who, who um, I was working with, he um, he said, well, look, I might as well send this off somewhere. So he sent it to the BBC. And first of all, we sent it to Dave Allen, and Dave Allen looked at the stuff. But he just finished the series, so there was, a, there was an issue that maybe he could use some of the material for the next series of Dave Allen shows that came up. Mm-hmm. But he also sent it to the two Ronnies. Now, the two Ronnies at the time were the biggest comic duo on the, um, uh, on the circuit. And they had audiences of 30 million, you know, each weekend. Unbelievable. Wow. And we were lucky enough to get a joke on. But not only did we get a joke on, we got a joke on the Christmas show as well, which is usually the most oh, wow. watched one. Um, and from there, that kind of catapulted us into the into the idea of writing gags for various shows. We wrote for radio. Um, we wrote for Roy Hudd on Huddlines. Um, we wrote for Weekendings, which was a satirical show, and uh, we wrote for various other various other shows. But the problem was that I was married. He was married. And it was a case of, you know, this isn't going to pay for uh, the mortgage. So right. what, what we, we had to do was to try and, I don't know, gauge what, what was the best thing. So we tried to do it freelance for a while, and then it, it petered out. And yeah, mm-hmm. and, and kept doing some one-offs and things like that for the various shows. I did a thing with uh, Tracy Ullman in... Um, bbc scotland which was called a kick up the 80s so yeah i mean that's that's how i got into writing if you like
1: wow that's that's a like it's a it's a long established path i guess or or history of, of writing so okay but then why would you settle on on fantasy because that's a very specific kind of uh form or a specific kind of aesthetic and so, is it because you like fantasy, or is, did this kind of just make sense in terms of where you're living? Like,
0: I, I can't say that I'm a lover of fantasy. I've read Lord of the Rings and things when I was younger, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, you know some of, some of those type of stories. But no, I, it, the essence of the the story of Mistress of the Rock is purely based on the supposition. That there is, there's more to the rock than people see, and that's what the Mm -hmm. the idea is. So from there, it was it was a a way of being able to develop the character and then develop the plot because I had the foundations of the story. Right. The story being that this is something that is what I described as fact, fantasy. And fiction, so those three together mm-hmm. make up the, the genre, if you like, which is like the new genre. It's it's a fact because it, there's a piece of rock that's in in the water mm-hmm. at the Romeo. It's a fantasy because of the legend that uh, echoes around the actual legend of um, Aphrodite, and it and it's fiction um, because the characters in it right. are fictional as well. That presents itself as being a unique opportunity. Yeah.
1: Right. So this image that you sent over says fantasy bundle two. Now, is that a sales thing or is there like, what's fantasy bundle one
0: fantasy bundle two is, is basically because of my publisher, who is at Rockhill publishing in, in the States. I have this issue, unfortunately, mm. that I, my publisher is in the States. the, chances of me getting books over from the States to to Cyprus are negligible because the price of postage is absolutely phenomenal. So, therefore, I have to rely on marketing from the States for them to be able to sell the books, even though the books are in places um, like the bookstores in the UK as well. And bookstores generally uh, worldwide. But they're not in sufficient number for me to be recognized. I think that's, that's the best way that I can describe it. If you're in the big five, for example, you don't have that issue because your marketing and everything mm-hmm. else is all done for you and your books are on the shelves. If you're right, right. self-publisher or you're a publisher who is like me with, with James, James publishes books, but he does it on a print-on-demand basis, which means that if right. somebody asks for the books, he'll print it. But he won't print 60 or 70 copies at a time, which is a limitation, as you can imagine. Okay. Myron, uh, you're, you're the first
1: person, let alone author, from Cyprus. So let's go on to the next photo. Yeah, sure. Well, a different vibe to this. Uh, It's uh,
0: Seven Walking Maps of London. Okay, I'll tell you how that all came about. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason I know Hong Kong so well is because I worked in Chinatown for six years. I was a travel agent for the majority of my working career. I was 30 years in the travel business working for airlines. Oh. I worked in travel agencies. And one of the travel agencies I worked in was a company called Jade Travel. Now Jade Travel you probably know of them in Hong Kong because they have a they have a branches in Hong Kong but they also have a, a, a subsidiary called UPO Air. Now Upo Air used okay. to fly charters of Chinese people from England to China, uh to England to Hong Kong and i okay. worked in i worked in wardour street which was in in chinatown now how the maps came about was i don't know if you're familiar with the british transport system but in the 80s it was diabolical <laughs> we used to have um, you know underground go go missing in terms of uh, you know the trains wouldn't work and, and things like that so um, one night I was stuck at Tottenham Court Road and um, I, I was looking around to, for a bus or a taxi. It was pouring with rain and I felt, crushed. I've got to get to Liverpool Street. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? I've got to walk. So I walked. But I took shortcuts. So instead of going the, like the normal way that you would uh, from Tottenham Court Road to the city, I started to take shortcuts and those shortcuts, when I looked mm-hmm. at my watch, I was only about 25 minutes into the walk by, by the time I'd got to Liverpool Street, and I realised, hold on, if I can do this in 25 minutes from Tottenham Court Road, maybe it's possible to be able to do six or seven minutes from different uh, locations in uh, you know mainland railway stations to various tube stations. Right. Now, by doing that, People used to go from, uh, let's say they used to go from bank or, or from monument to bank. Now, monument to bank mm-hmm. is is literally three minutes. That's all it is. But they would travel that far or they would go from bank to Liverpool Street. Now, bank to Liverpool Street right. is, is uh, ten minutes or something like that. Okay. Now, bank to Liverpool Street would be crammed, absolutely crammed. So you'd get all these people trying to go on. The, the underground, for the sake of one or two stops. So my idea right. was, let's try and find short-distance walks where people can get, not bother with the trains, not bother with the underground, right. not bother with the buses. Purely by fate, about a week later, there's this thing buzzing around in my head. I met a taxi driver, a chap called Jim O'Brien, nice guy. And Jim and I spoke in the the cab as he was taking me back to the uh, railway station. And I said to him, I've got this idea. And he said, well, the knowledge, actually, which is the taxi driver's, if you like, Bible, Mm -hmm. that will actually show you quick routes. It will show you routes on how to get from A to B without all the fuss and everything else. So I said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you drive drive me up, say, 12 routes, you know, from mainline stations to within a radius of, say, 15 minutes, just maximum like that. So he said, yeah, all right, I don't mind doing that, so he took my number and everything else, and I didn't hear from him for about a week, 10 days, and then he came in the office, and he had all these different routes, and I thought, blimey, you've done really well. So I had a graphic designer, a chap that I used to use, and I took it over to him. And he said, well, look, the best thing for you to do is don't take the traditional A to Z map, but create your own map. So what we did was we created our own map based on central railway stations being at the center of the map. And then the offshoots, the routes going... From the central railway station so when it came to it and you gave the directions the directions was the same as the knowledge of the taxi driver
1: what i have of this what i really appreciate is here you are you're you're like living your life and then you have this sort of the sensibility of being a tourist right from your work putting together packages and all this stuff and then you kind of make, you can connect the dots and then you say, oh, wait a second, Get, getting around London can be, um, you know, it's relatively well known for it being uh, a little bit tedious or slow or whatever. And so you, you, you have this entrepreneurial impulse. So the the walking maps of London. Here in the graphic, it says seven walking maps. But did you do a series of these? Or did you only print one sort of... Well, I did all
0: the mainline stations. I started with with Liverpool Street, Planchot Street, Cannon Street. And then we went across to Waterloo. Uh, We did King's Cross. We did theatre walks, which was Mm -hmm. around the West End. We did Royal Walk. Which was around the royal palaces, and we also did a river walk as well. Are these still available? Unfortunately, not, because basically the, co- the company went bust. I didn't have enough money for it to keep going. I tried mm-hmm. tried different ways of being to raise funds. I even got divorced because uh, we were we. I wanted to get funds who actually raised enough money for us to be able to develop a company, um, we did develop a company eventually, but not sufficient enough money. And again, it came down to, if you don't have the advertising budget, we tried out everywhere, every which way you could you could imagine. We, we did TV sponsorship for um, for a charity walk, we did that, we did printed the, the maps in file of fax version, if you remember what a file fax right, right. was like, And we got into several shops. London Tourist Board loved it. And then, unfortunately, um, I was looking around for um, a a business angel. I got a business Mm -hmm. angel that came up and I said to him, look, we're going to need around, say, 25,000. And he said, well, that's not a problem. And then I put all my eggs in one basket thinking this bloke was going to come up with the 25,000. And he went bust. So there I was uh, left, with, left with nothing okay well then the big
1: question is for a listener today clearly making maps at this point isn't a thing making a walking tour walking maps that could be a thing but in terms of like what is the what is the lesson that we can distill from what you learned for somebody who's like in terms of cuz i really appreciate this idea of you going around having this entrepreneurial sort of spirit to say, Oh, Hey, wait a second. Maybe we can do something here. And as you saw, it's quite challenging.
0: Yes, so, oh, yeah. So, so what yeah. is
1: the lesson? What's the lesson we can share?
0: Okay. Well, the lesson is don't go into something unless you have the substance to be able to follow it up. Mm. You, it doesn't matter what you go into. You can't go in on a wing and a prayer. You've got to go in with substantial backing Mm -hmm. right from the beginning. You need collateral, and that, above all, is is the most important. Because when you try to do something on a wing and a prayer, invariably it doesn't work out because you're limited with what you can actually do then. You're limited to to the fact that you you only have so much budget so where do you put the budget? And and let's say you put your budget into an advertising campaign and that advertising campaign bombs you've lost everything Mm -hmm. from that point of view so if you're going into from an entrepreneurial point of view you must have the backing to be able to substantiate what you want to do If you don't, then you're climbing up a hill and you're sliding back down before you even get to the top.
1: Right, excellent advice. Um, seven walking maps of London, the dynasty and the and the empire that could have been. Do you want to go on to the next photo?
0: Yeah, I, that, I mean, problem is uh, I'm not very good with directions. And my wife will tell you. Okay. <laughs> I can't tell my left from my right. I, I am absolutely okay. diabolical with directions. How the hell I invented a mapping thing, I do not know. I really do not know. Okay. I can't tell you. Uh, it was all down to Jim doing what he could do. I gave him the I gave him the premise, but he was the guy who put it t- together. And together with the art director, that the chap I don't know if he's still alive now. Because he was quite Mm. quite old then in those days, a chap called Bob Holman, he he was very very clever, and he he was concocted the whole thing. I just came up with the idea. Well, it's great. I mean, in
1: a way, entrepreneurship is about bringing together a team.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: So there there is that. Yeah. Okay, wait a second. This is very different. So it's a, it's an illustration. Uh, it's like a scorecard of sorts with this sort of illustrated lights on the left, lights on the right. Uh, there's a football, a soccer ball on the grass. Right. But the, the point of the graphic is it says score time.
0: And That's then correct.
1: score eight time. It says coupon betting, score betting odds, time, live betting. Uh, cool. There's also a, a graphic of a of a roulette wheel. That also maybe some some cards. Yeah. yeah, like a like blackjack table register. Now, what's this?
0: Okay, I was a copywriter in the '80s. I was, yeah, you know, I told you I was a travel manager. Um, well, one of the yeah. travel one of the places that I actually was a travel manager for was JWT. Now J W T was the biggest advertising agent in the world at, at the time, and uh, I used to look after their travel for them. And then the guy there, he the guy who I was talking to, a chap called Andrew Nelson, who was responsible for the Andrex campaign, the the famous Andrex campaign with the dog and everything. He said to me, um, "Well, you do some writing, why don't you do the copy test?" And I said, "Well, what's that?" And he said, "Well, it's the." a way of being able to gauge if you're any good creatively-wise and maybe you can, you know, get a job as a creative creative person. So I said, okay, I'll I'll give it a go. He said, look, I'll tell you in all honesty, he said, no one's passed it in three years. It's really (laughs) really quite difficult. So I said, yeah, all right, I'll give it a go. I did the copy test and I passed it. And um, oh, wow. I got, uh, and I got taken up to the creative department to meet the creative director, and he gave me some uh, he gave me some campaigns to do where they'd already done the campaigns, so like for Guinness or for Kellogg's, for example. And he said, "I want you to redo the adverts." So I said, "Yeah, all right." So mm-hmm. um, I redid the adverts, and on top of that, with the um, with the with the copy test that I did. He offered me a job in the creative department. Amazing. I went into JWT as a, a, first of all, a junior copywriter. And within 10 days, I'd written my first commercial, which was for um, a, a dog company called Spillers. And uh, that I was, was really enjoying that lifestyle. It was really good. But then,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> fate always seems to ha- have a hand in whatever I do. That, at that time, and it's the first time in the history of um, commercial television, ITV went on strike, uh, which meant that all the commercials that were the background of JWT all went off air. They didn't have any revenue right. coming in for them. So we were we were reduced to just producing posters or producing press ads or magazine ads and things mm-hmm. like that. So for about a year we were clinging on to what what we were doing, and then suddenly we all got made redundant. So I just said, "Oh, this is ridiculous! I've got to pay the mortgage. I can't hang around waiting to get another job in in advertising." And what with everybody else also experiencing the fact that there was no TV advertising and that, so I went back into the travel business and. Um, I ended up working in a merchant bank, but that's another story. But to go back to what you you were saying, how did I get involved with this particular uh, scenario? When I came to Cyprus, I I worked for several companies. I worked for phone companies. I worked for um, a company that specialized in backgammon. I've now... I don't, right. I don't know how to play backgammon all right i've never been able to play backgammon yet you're hired <laughs> i used to have to write columns for backgammon i even produced an ebook on how to play backgammon and what what you know the various moves that you do with backgammon and all the rest right. of it. so i produced that so, I, I, had, uh, I had a job working um, in this place, doing this place 65, and uh, around the corner from me, where I used to live, was an advertising agency. So I went in there one day, and I went, so I went up to the director. In Cyprus?
1: Was, yeah, in,
0: yeah, in Limassol. Okay. And I went up to the director, and I said, to him, do you have freelance, you know, copywriters or anything? And he said, well, tell me what, you know, what what, what your experience is. So I told him my experience, and he said, well, I'll give you a, I'll give you a brief. So I said, okay, fine. So he gave me a brief, and I did this brief for him, took it back over the weekend, and he said, could you start working for us? And I said, well, I've got this job at the moment, but yeah, I could think I'd probably be able to, to start straight away, you know, from that point of view. So I ended up working -hmm. working in his advertising agency, and I was... Now, you've got to remember, I don't speak Greek. I don't speak a bloody word of Greek, okay? So I was working in this agency. Now, remember, they had Greek text as well as English text. So there I was writing TV commercials in English, which could be translated into Greek. So everything had to be visual. So I was writing visual visual commercials, etc. And uh, I've done the TV commercials, radio commercials and, and, and press and things like that. And one of the things that came up was we had an idea that maybe it would be a good, good, good thing to have a, a game. So mm-hmm. I came up with this like bingo idea for... Burger King, believe it or not. Um, we went and saw Burger okay. King and they said, yeah, okay, sounds like a good idea, but no, not for us at this moment. So I took it away and I changed it around a bit. And then it came up with the idea of score time, which was, I'm trying to think of how how it, the best way to explain it. Most football games, like if you're doing the pools, for example, are based on draws. You know uh, eight mm-hmm. drawers will give you the jackpot you know that sort of thing or right. for games that are uh home games if you if you predict five games and they're home games or whatever mine was based on the pure idea of how many goals were scored not just by one or two games but throughout the league so in other words mm-hmm. if you had a figure of say 60 goals that would be what you wanted that would be the target that you were looking to try and get so we developed this right. game called score time and we actually went to london to Littlewoods, the pools company and uh we mm-hmm. showed it to them and they were impressed with what we what we had and they asked us to do a world cup version So we came back to Cyprus and we started putting a World Cup version together. But then we also went out to uh, Athens because the uh, main gambling organization over here is the place I can't remember the name now. They're the main gambling organization and they basically control everything. And uh, we went out to Athens, we came to see them and we showed them the game and they said, yeah, okay, this seems like a a good thing. The only problem is when we came back, we found out that they liked the idea, but they felt it would be detrimental to their own Joker idea, which was um, where, where everybody used to do the Joker. Joker was very simple. This, by comparison, right. Right at the time was more complex. So... They thought, right, well, we'll stick with what we've got. Anyway, score time we, we put together and we put it into a computer and we put it onto a a website and um, people used to play it and and that sort of thing. But then, as I told you before, fate seems to, to have a hand in what we do. We, we were doing quite well as an agency and then one day I got a phone call to say, don't come in the office anymore. We're no longer in business. There's been a fire, and the fire has actually burnt out everything that we've got so all our oh, wow. in- all our infrastructure was gone. We couldn't operate, so everybody was made redundant. That was it. Oh wow, that's what I mean. If fate hands you that sort of thing. you have to deal with it,
1: sure. In an odd... Um, okay, so let's tie it back to the point of the podcast, right? Like, we're all given a limited number of, of seconds, of, of moments, of, of presence, time of life. Right. And um, you could say, call it, leave it up to fate, or leave it up to uh, the gods, or leave it up to the universe. You know, who knows what happens. Okay, so... I, I love the idea that you're, you're the kind of person who, for better or for worse, will sit there and tinker and come up with these ideas and then, you know, not be afraid of going from Cyprus to, to Athens, to you know, in Greece, and then going to London and then trying to shop around this idea to see who's going to take it. Uh, it has some success, some failure, Yeah, so so why don't you talk about your personal relationship to failure? How do you feel about failure?
0: Uh, That's an interesting uh, question, because um, I tend to feel that um, I should give in, but I don't give in. Mm. You know, I tend to think, oh, well, you have giving it a good crack, you know, that, that sort of idea but sometimes something just inspires me to say no look just keep going you know just keep keep going um and somehow i just uh, kind of keep keep the momentum going you know from from that point of view i've had so wow. many disappointments by comparison to to mm-hmm. you know but to to successes if you like I, it's just like the best way I can describe it is I go so far up the ladder, and then at that point I start to slide down, and that's just, that, that's it. I never make it to the actual top, but I keep trying to get to the top. That's the best sort of right. analogy that I can give you. It's, it's very easy to give up, but uh, it's hard right. to keep going. Is it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think like how
1: do you move. So, you know, you get this phone call saying, hey, listen, don't bother coming into the office because it's burnt down. How do you go from there to your next step forward? What were the gears that were turning in your
0: head? Well, then you see, uh, it was quite a case of what do I do now? The problem was because I don't speak Greek, I couldn't get into another advertising agency. So I had to have a complete change of career completely changed everything and um, in Cyprus it's a very financial island that we have a double tax treaty uh, agreement and we also have um, apart from tourism which you can imagine is, is very very large in, in its own way um, we also have the, the financial advantages and we have a gaming infrastructure as well Mm-hmm. We have forex companies, and they're licensed forex companies. We also have many unlicensed, unfortunately. But generally, the, um, the the consensus is that this seems to be the, if you like, number three in the industries of, on the island. So, forex and and things like that. Now, but before I got into forex. There's a thing called binary options. I don't know if you've come across binary options before, but binary options was uh, <laughs> binary options was uh, was nothing more than a gaming thing. It, it basically basically was yeah. it was so simplistic. It was untrue, but people lost fortunes, absolute fortunes over it, and there were a couple of mm. uh, shall we say dubious companies that were operating this. Um, Operation of um, binary options. Basically, what binary options was, you had to predict a certain level of investment whether it would go up or go down in a given time. That was that was the, That was the mm-hmm. complete essence of it. In many ways, forex is similar, in but much more complex. It has a, a, a different infrastructure to binary options. You also have to know knowledge of the market, you have to be able to assess if you think for a zoom since commodity Myron Myron, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. Myron.
1: I think you've lost me. What are we talking about? Oh. <laughs> so I'm looking at the score time. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. After score time, I went into the financial world. That's what happened. Okay. Got but it, that, that, got from, it.
1: From, from okay. That, that's why. Okay, sorry, sorry. I was just like, because I'm looking at the image, trying to get an anchor back to it. Well, look, the, these conversations really scream along. Shall we go on to the next photo? Is, is that another stage? Or do you want to continue talking about score time?
0: Yeah, the, the book is The Two Ronnies. That's that's what the photo okay. is. So that goes back to my that goes back to my BBC um, connections. Um, okay, and and uh, the two Ronnies was, as I say, the beginning of my, if, if you like, com- uh, comedy co- career, and uh, I was very fortunate. I worked with some of the, the greats of um, of comedy, people like Mister Bean, you know, uh, Rowan Atkinson. Yep. he used to be on a. Uh, com- uh, 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 a comedy show called Not The Nine O'Clock News. Now, Not The Nine O'Clock News was produced by a chap called John Lloyd. John Lloyd, who was the mm-hmm. producer on Blackadder, uh, he also produced uh, Ron, the Hudlines. So that that was it. I worked with Weekendings, and there was a chap called Douglas Adams, who went on to do Hitchhiker's right. Guide to the Galaxy. Unfortunately, Paul died died very young. And uh, Reese Jones, who was on not the nine, not the nine o'clock news, who then went on to do uh, Mel Smith uh, with Mel Smith, who also unfortunately mm. died young, uh, went on and did Smith. Now hold on, you're you're dropping a lot of names. You're dropping a lot of
1: names, but let me first of all anchor the. Okay, so the last image is a photo of a of a book cover. Yeah. And it's called The Bumper Book of the Two Ronnies. That's and correct. And the, the double O of the word book has the face of these, I guess these guys are the Ronnies. So this yeah. is before my time. This I'm Canadian. It doesn't really, really signal very much to me. But The Bumper Book of yeah. the Two Ronnies, the best of the two Ronnies dialogue. Yeah.
0: This is, would be around uh, early 80s. This would be. And there's a couple of gags of mine in there. If you look, uh, I've got credits in the book itself, which is why I included it in the book. There's about four or five different Ronnie books where I've gotten my name in it as well, as well as the the, the TV program where we 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 did the Christmas uh, the Christmas gag um on the on the Christmas show, and that just adds a bit more to the to the portfolio really from, from that point of view if you go right. on to Google and you look up my name you'll see BBC comedy writer which you know is is great because it, I'm in a list of comedy writers who are have seen as being the the best in the business and it's nice to be in that company um, I've just finished two kids books so I'm looking at getting the kids publisher I'd like to be able to Find a kids publisher that is outside of America. Uh, I'm working with a, a a mate of mine who is putting together a, a screenplay for a sort of a con man. Yeah, we're trying to work on the script together. It's mm. it's, it's quite complex as well. Um, I'm trying to also trying to get people interested in maybe making a movie of the the Mistress of the Rock. Trilogy, sure, but that's that's difficult because you basically need somebody to back you, and that's not easy to find. Uh, but Apart from that, I just keep myself busy. My my problem is, of course, I have um, I have dialysis three times a week, so that that sometimes knocks me off my feet a bit, and um, yeah, so so I have to keep myself occupied as well. So in
1: terms of your practice, yeah, so, so, so let us into, into your world.
0: Okay, well, the, the, the whole essence of the, the, the trilogy of the books is that it's a contemporary Greek story, if you like. It centers around the legends of, of Cyprus, mm-hmm. are mainly the Aphrodite legends, but there are other Greek legends associated with the island. Uh, There's also the main Greek legends as well, which come through in various forms in the different books. From that perspective, there's a lot that you can do. If you take, for example, the modern-day world, and then drop the ancient world into it, you create a fantasy world of its own. Mm -hmm. But you keep the realism going as well. That, in many ways, puts it on a level, because It's giving you the story from a modern-day aspect, but bringing the ancient into it as well. They run concurrently, so that that in in its own way is, if you like, the unique part of the fantasy fiction. That really tells me how I can follow on from one book into the next book into the next book. And I only originally, remember, I only originally wrote this for my wife right. for a Christmas present. Right. And it's now catapulted into a trilogy of books.
1: Nice. Um, Myron, Like, uh, yeah, thank you very much.
0: No, it's my pleasure. Thank you
1: for the opportunity. Thank you very much. For sure. And I'll put the, uh, the links in the show notes. Uh, Myron, listen, thank you very much and take care out there in
0: Cyprus. Okay, take care. Shooting it raw? Yes. Shooting it raw.